All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Got the Money Wise guys back inside the Money Wise studio with me for this weekend show. I have my brother Jeff, Joe Rust, and I am your host, Kyle Davidson. For any new listeners to the Money Wise program, Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. We're in our 32nd year of business with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi. We have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Tuesday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a complimentary portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And finally, if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. As we kick off every weekend's Money Wise program, I'll turn it over to my brother, Jeff, to go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. So, Jeff, take it away. Okay, in the week just passed, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was down about 284 points, or nine-tenths of 1%. The S&P 500 last week was down about 56.5 points, or 1.5%. And the NASDAQ last week was down about 203 points, or 1.5%. Now, for the year to date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is up seven-tenths of a percent. The S&P 500 year-to-date is up three-tenths of a percent. And the NASDAQ year-to-date is up nine-tenths of one percent. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. So a little pause in the rally. A little pause. I I, I mean, I would say looking at the numbers so far year-to-date, it seems that things are just kind of coming out of the blocks at more of a normal pace for the markets, just kind of looking at years past. But I would say that the environment that the market is navigating currently is anything but normal. And it's far from normal as far as from a political landscape, from a media and news landscape. Well, you know, we, we always talk, you start the show with the major market indexes, the Dow, the S&P, the NASDAQ, and have done that for you know, more than 15 years. The, the, the indexes we don't talk about, like emerging markets or small capitalization, you know, like the Russell 2000, which is generally small and mid-cap stocks. Uh, if, we, if we were talking about those performances, we would have much larger uh, positive numbers. I want to say before. The, the, the uh, Russell going into Friday was up like 9% year to date. And the emerging markets was up, uh, I think, more than 5% year to date. So there's, there's definitely a lot of rotation occurring in, in the marketplace. And I think it's a little bit of that's being reflected here in, in the major market averages. And us included, all, you know, all red, everyone that's managing money, you, they they start the new year off and they start to they begin their, their their planning you know at the end of the previous year and they finalize their plans you know in the first couple of weeks of, of the new month and they start executing their plans to reallocate inside their portfolios maybe 
reduce some of their winners from the previous year, uh, use some of that money to buy some new stocks. Maybe they bring in new asset classes that they didn't have in the previous year uh, or, or do all, you know, all those, other, all those, both those things at the same time. A lot of us maintenance. Included. A lot us, of maintenance. Yes. Us included. Because, mm-hmm. because there's a lot, there were a lot of gains in a lot of, uh, especially the technology focused stocks in 2020. So it wouldn't be out of the ordinary to see some profit taken occurring at the beginning of the year. And so, you know, last week, the NASDAQ on a percentage basis, even though it was kind of, it was tied with the S and P in terms of losses, it had, it didn't have a, a particularly great week, but it's still the leading index for the year to date. But like I said, you look at, you look at emerging markets, you look at sm- small and mid cap stocks, they're, they're up a lot more than what the market indices are right now. I think the reason they are is because money is continuing to be reallocated into those asset classes. Yes, Kyle. And, and I was going to say your, your, your assessment, Russell 2000 through Thursday's close was up over 9% year to date and emerging markets just over 6%. So like you were just talking about, and this was Thursday because obviously we're recording the show after the bell on Friday, so we don't have Friday's ending closing numbers yet. But like you were talking about the rotation, and, and, and we've talked on past MoneyWise programs, you know, money's rotating out of growth, large cap growth, go into large cap value, and be very careful of the value traps, don't get sucked into a stock just because it pays a nice juicy dividend when it has horrible fundamentals, that's the value trap. Mm-hmm. But, but, but again, with, when you're looking at small caps, I mean, small caps are historically known as an asset class. When you're going through an economic recovery, the small cap, particularly small cap growth, is usually a, a leading outperformer from an asset class standpoint. I'd say that's one thing that's been adding to it, being up 9% already year to date. In fact, hitting record closes just this past week. And so, and so the same thing with emerging markets, and I think that is also rotation. Some money's leaving the United States, and I would say that maybe some of it is a bit of a political move for investors who are not exactly pleased with what happened uh, for the presidential election and what's transpired and maybe wanting to get some exposure outside the borders of the United States. I would say that's partially in my, my opinion, I think that's a lesser reason for why I think the, the, the bigger reason is that there's just, there's, there's more opportunity in terms of how far, how far have those markets moved versus how far the markets move, say here in the U S and I didn't even mention it. You know, and I know you've got the performance numbers up there in front of you, Kyle, there's definitely a continuing differential between growth and value across the large, mid, and small capitalization stocks. The the value side has got a little bit better performance than the growth side, especially when it comes to the large capitalization stocks. Not so much in the small and mid-cap stocks, but we saw this in the fourth quarter of 2020 where the value was outperforming uh, growth. Was it a big Big margin? No. Was it uh, a margin that th- could make up the entire differential for all of 2020 between growth and value? No, not even close. Uh, is that tie? You know, th- th- there's a saying: Is this a trend or is this a trade? Well, I think from uh, a- allocating assets out of the U.S., whether it be internationally or an emerging or in emerging markets, uh, I think that's that's a trend. Is it, is, is it something that, that we're going to, that we're considering putting 
10, 15, 20, 25% of our stock allocation into? No, not at this time, nor have we ever in the history of our company. Have we begun to put some money into uh, emerging markets? For the first time, I think in more than two years, the answer to that question is yes. We have started to allocate some assets to emerging markets. And that's just from outside the borders of the U.S. because, you know, we owned in an international position several years ago. But as far as emerging markets, I, I would have to go it, back and look, Jeff. It's probably yeah. more than seven or eight years since we've owned an actual emerging markets you, you, position you, in the portfolio. So. But let's let's take our first commercial break. When we come back from the break, we'll pick up on this conversation. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Tuesday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a complimentary portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys. You can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office, toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So I want to catch up any listeners that just tuned into this weekend's Money Wise program. Last segment, we are talking about, you know, just some – some changes in some asset classes, you know, as we look at the beginning of the year, you know, the Dow, the S and P, the NASDAQ, you know, they're getting out of the blocks. I wouldn't say they're getting hot out of the blocks, but a lot of movement, a lot of portfolio maintenance going on. I know two weeks ago we were taking profits that we did not want to take at the end of 2020 uh, to just try to save some of our clients with taxable accounts, uh, some tax dollars from their 2020 tax bill. And so, we're looking at the different asset classes that have been talked about really going back to really third, fourth quarter of last year, like the large cap value. And are we going to start to see that rotation? And Jeff, you're talking about, is this is a trend or a trade? And we, right before we went to the first commercial break, talking about emerging markets, which is an asset class that as of this past week, we have added to our portfolio allocation models across the board, and we have not owned emerging markets, I mean, north of probably six to seven years owning emerging markets. Now, we have owned international, and some of our listeners might be saying, well, what's the difference? Emerging markets are primarily focused more in the Asian countries, South America, India, uh, countries of, of those nature. International uh, mutual funds are really more the developed markets, so it's going to be more of the Eurozone uh, type countries that are in international uh, investments. And we did own international an international position through an exchange-traded fund several years ago, a couple years back. But, Jeff, like you said, we hadn't been overseas really going back to 2018. So this is our first exposure in quite a couple, you know, quite a few number of years. Yeah, well, Joe. It, and Kyle and I, in the last week, doing a lot of extensive, and Jeff, a lot of extensive research on emerging markets, if you look at your average emerging market mutual fund or ETF, the last 10 years, the rate of returns have been between 3 and, and maybe 5%. 5%, yeah. So, you know, there's a reason why we have not had that in the last seven years. And, you know, we could talk about it later, but that's exactly why you need to do a portfolio review and see where you've been and what what is your advisor doing right now to get you in a situation where you're going to be successful in 2021, regardless of how you feel politically, to be candid. You, you have to make decisions uh, based off of your long-term uh, time horizon, 
And I don't know. That's just the reasons that we looked at. Well, well, and you brought up a good point. You know, for for all investors, I mean, we understand that there's been a lot of emotions that have taken place since the uh, elections back in November. And I had a, a lengthy conversation with a client out of Round Rock, and it was a portfolio review that we were doing over a Zoom meeting. And they were both very surprised at how bullish we were considering the political environment. And, you know, they are, they are supporters of, of president Trump. And I understood, you know, I understand where they were coming from, but this is the conversation I really had with them is that this is where we've been talking going back 15 years on the money wise program of being able to separate emotion from portfolio management decisions and it's also, Joe, just like the point you brought up, the political aspect, because politics can stir up emotions as well. And you can't allow your political views generate emotions that can then trigger you to make unwise decisions in your portfolio. And so what I was saying to these two clients is that as professional money managers, one of our jobs is to help separate our clients emotionally from their assets because they're they're leaning on us to kind of see the forest for the trees. And as I was saying to them is that we have to navigate assets in all different types of market environments and political environments as well. And we have to separate our personal emotional feelings about politics and take a look at the environment that's in front of us to be making the wise decisions in the portfolio to be a wise steward for the assets that we're that we're given and entrusted with to be making those decisions with. And so that was a conversation that I had a lengthy conversation with our clients about, and they were very appreciative and, but they were also surprised at our bullish stance. And so I had to give them the list of reasons of why we're bullish kind of void of what's happening inside Washington of why we're bullish about the market. And we've talked about it on this program. Yeah. Because, Politics is is just a. I, I don't want to. I guess I don't want to minimize it too much, but maybe maybe I am minimizing it too it's much. A, it's here. an element it's, to the whole. It's an time. element. Thank you. Yeah. It's an element, element. But it's but the economy, it as a whole, is bigger than one political party that may be in control of the White House, be in control of Congress being all at the same time. And we've already talked about all of these statistics that don't support a assumption or a uh, theory that just because uh, of the, the way things have gone for the Republicans in the election just passed, that that is means bad things for investors and in stocks because you got to take into account all the other things that are, that are going on. You have to take into account really in the, what the federal reserve's doing, what's happening with inflation, what's happening with GDP growth. And right now, you know, what's happening, you know, what's happening with unemployment, what's happening with all these other economic statistics. Uh, you can't all bear of these, your head all of these, you can't, you can't, you can't you can't, make, you can't make a long-term investment decision solely based on a political view. That's right. You, you just can't. And another thing, uh, and I, I, we've talk, kind of talked about, we've talked about this over the last 15 years. I, I was reading an email from another client 
and it was the client was expressing a fear that things are are, are very unsettled in the world. Well, things are always unsettled in the world. There is I mean, never never an environment that I've lived in in my 55 years, it'll be here in just a few months, where the world has not been unsettled. I mean, there's there's degrees of, of, of being, un, you know, unsettled. unsettled. <laughs> do, I, do I think the what's happening right now is more unsettling than, was, than what was happening immediately after September 11th? Or... Uh, immediately or during the financial crisis in 08, 09, or the three-year bear market that investors endured after one of the greatest bull markets of the late 20th century. Well, COVID is a new variable for everybody. For you know, Anybody that's managing money has not had to manage money inside a global pandemic. Well, now they no have. One. No one. Now they have. Mm-hmm. us included so to say that the world is more unsettled now than it might have been in in the in these other past particular uh, uh events that i just described I, I i don't believe it truly is i i would say after the september 11th attacks was more unsettling to me than than covid we have, you know, we have, we have pulled off under the leadership of the previous administration and don't send me a bunch of email saying that's not true, Jeff. That's, you know, whatever to develop a vaccine, multiple vaccines in record time and get it and get it rolled out to get it in, get it in, get, get people inoculated. Now is the inoculation happening as fast as any of us want? No. Did we expect it to be? No. Is it? But is it still happening? Yes, it is. Who could have thought that? I mean, who could have thought that we could have done that? Yeah, yeah. In a year, less if, than a year. If you thought really that, in you less than a year, kidding yourself. Unless you're. I mean, really, it's it all happens in less than a year. I mean, it's absolutely. I mean, Operation Warp Speed. I, I think is an understatement. It's more like ludicrous speed. Yeah. And while we're talking about this, I don't know if our listeners are paying attention, but earlier this week, China's virus efficacy rate was, what, 50%? So so keep in mind, we still live in the best country in the world. And when it comes down to developing uh, a vaccine or developing anything, technology, you know, that's why we've been so bullish on the United States the last 10 years is because of reasons. Very good point. China's still, China's getting getting a little bit of ground during this pandemic, which stinks. But at the end of the day, you know, look who everybody in the globe is going to turn to eventually to get them out of this mess. So, but if I but if I remember correctly, statistically, I think they've lost less than five. They have less than five thousand deaths in China, which is absolutely mm-hmm. mind blowing, because they locked everything down. They well, they I literally, don't, well, they literally incarcerated dad was, everybody. Dad was ill. He'd say. Uh, really, do you believe those numbers? Well, yes, yeah, I know, I know, yeah. I know. They're probably not accurate. Those are only the bodies you can find. <laughs> oh, <laughs> ouch! Wow, ouch. ooh, Joe, he came out of right field with that one. Yeah. That was a good one. Um, but no, I, I mean, absolutely. And so, 
Uh, Joe, you brought up a point before we go to commercial break that I want to come back to on the other end because you mentioned about a portfolio review and we were talking about asset classes. So let's talk about that when we come back from the commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Tuesday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a complimentary portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So before we went to the bottom of the hour break, Joe, you'd brought up a, you just kind of said it in passing, but I thought, you know what? I want to come back and, and, and talk about this a little bit more for this weekend show. Uh, because we were talking earlier in the program how we've been examining and researching to bring in some new asset classes. One new asset class that we brought into our portfolios this past week was emerging markets. And emerging markets is an asset class we haven't owned for years and years and years in our portfolios at Davidson Capital. And Joe, you'd made a comment about you know why having a portfolio review and analysis is so critical. And we've talked about it at a lot on the MoneyWise program when we do these portfolio reviews, particularly from portfolio of portfolios that are coming from the legacy distribution system, all your major name brand brokerage firms, financial salespeople, we typically see a very similar trend with these portfolio reviews. And it's the the, the portfolio asset allocation is what we kind of dubbed the Monte Carlo portfolio. And Monte Carlo comes from the Monte Carlo analysis, which is an asset allocation theory that was developed years ago that pretty much the legacy distribution system follows almost lockstep where you fill out a questionnaire, they rate you on your risk tolerance, and then the Monte Carlo analysis will tell you what percentage you should have large cap growth, large cap value, international, emerging markets, basically just shotgun blasting your assets in your portfolio across every asset class available under the sun. And we wholeheartedly disagree with this philosophy. The shotgun approach, and we see the shotgun, I mean, we're in our 32nd year of business and we've been reviewing portfolios for 32 years. And we have seen time and time again, how the shotgun approach when it comes to portfolio asset allocation models and design just does not work. It just doesn't work. Now it's easy. It's very simple to shotgun blast a client's assets across every asset class under the sun. That's simple. That simple doesn't require a lot of work, but at Davidson Capital Management, as portfolio managers as we are, as fiduciaries, and being fiduciary liable to our clients' assets and for earning a fee for for what we do for our clients, we're going to put a little bit more time, energy, and effort into our research and our analysis of selecting not only the asset classes that we want to own in our asset allocation, in our models, in our portfolios, in our asset allocation models during particular market conditions, but then also the quality of the security, whether it's an individual stock, an individual, uh, uh, an actively managed mutual fund, no-load mutual fund, or an exchange-traded fund. We're going to be doing our research to make sure we're owning the best of breed in that asset class. Something you wanted to add, Joe? 
Well, when you're talking about that, yeah, the number one reason you're going to do better or outperform is your asset allocation models. That's typically what it's whether the rubber meets the road on that. That's that's always going to be more important, and you could go over the hierarchy of of what's going to help you get a better rate of return. But typically, asset allocation, and more importantly lately, active asset allocation, is is the reason. Behind it, and obviously the uh, equity selection is extremely important. But you can have a two or three star fund, which is fine, okay. And but as long as you're in the right asset class, you're you're generally going to outperform. But but what's even better is not only having the right asset class, but having a four and four four or five star rated fund. Right. And when we again go through our portfolio review and analysis process, not only are we seeing the wrong asset classes, but then we're seeing substandard uh, securities that are representing the wrong asset classes. Now there are, don't get me wrong. There are right asset classes in there because they're shotgun blasting into every asset, into every asset class available. We take a lasered rifle approach of doing the research, doing the analysis, which asset classes do we feel are going to be performing the best now and in, to the future and that's what we want to own and then we have to go to the second step of finding the securities that we want to represent those asset classes so the bottom line is is it takes a lot of work and a lot of time and for a listener hearing this program saying oh gosh i don't i don't have time for all that i don't want to do all of that i don't have the expertise to do all that that is the reason why davidson capital management exists the other th- one thing I want to point also point out is we're also taking some creative approaches to asset allocations. And one of the creative approaches that we're going to be employing here in the coming weeks is our bond strategy. Now, I think I, I had a conversation with a client earlier this week about interest rates. And I think all of us agree that the probabilities of interest rates going lower than they were at the end of 2020, that they're going to go down even lower in 2021 are pretty low. We were wrong in 2020 thinking interest rates are going to go higher and they actually went lower. Barring some sort of other unforeseen uh, events regarding COVID or something that may happen with this, you know, while this new administration is in power, you know, a geopolitical event, the, the probabilities of, of interest rates being higher in, in 2021 are pretty good. And investors that, that have uh, larger than, than average allocations to longer maturity bonds in their portfolio are going to get, are going to get hurt. I'm, you know, again, I might put you on the spot a little bit here, Kyle, but I was looking at this early. Some of the performance numbers on the fixed income side here, just in the first, couple of trading weeks of the year, you know, there's some negative numbers starting to show up uh, and and we're just barely into the year and interest rates, you know, from a, you know, have only gone up maybe a 10th of a percent. Well, here, I'll I'll give you some numbers, Jeff, the Bloomberg Barclays U.S. corporate investment grade bond index down 1.30% through Thursday's close. And then the Bloomberg less than 10 trading days. Yes, and then the the Barclays U.S. aggregate composite down 0.89 percent. So yeah, that doesn't. Like yeah, that doesn't sound like big numbers, but that's just in a handful of days. Now, are we saying that that trend is going to continue 
for the remainder of the year? Well, no, because we, that means bonds would be down a ton. But what, what we are saying is, is that you, we have to, you have to take some, some creative approaches to fixed income approaches that we haven't necessarily employed in times past. And one of those has been uh, that we are actually allowing the individual fixed income securities in our, our larger portfolios to mature and not necessarily rush out to reinvest that money in another bond, but instead have been uh, are beginning to build a position in, in what we're, what we're calling a, a, uh, Bond Bar substitutes, bond substitutes, bond substitutes, and, and bond substitutes. Well, but so the bond substitutes are going to be comprised of mostly what would be considered to be value stocks with larger than average dividends. And so the, 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 uh, plan is, is we want to, we're picking stocks that we think will have stable, to upwardly moving values in terms of stock price and a high probability of maintaining or raising their dividends as a replacement for fixed income securities that are maturing because the interest rates are just so darn unattractive really really unattractive i was gonna say you can say that again and you just this did. is this is a creative approach i mean to have this and, and right now we've only allocated about five percent of the portfolio to this bond surrogate what we're calling a bond sleeve uh but 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 this is the kind of creative investment thinking that you get from a registered investment advisor you're not going to get that from the Monte Carlo analysis that Kyle describes. Joe, you want to add something to there? No. and it, it, Yes, I, actually, I do. Okay. It, <laughs> so for the last two or three quarters, I mean, I can't tell you how many times we've all been watching the, the talking heads on, uh, on uh, CNBC, and they're talking about, well, the new 60-40 is going to have to be 70-30 because that 40% that you used to have in fixed income is not going to get you where you need to be, especially, especially – if you're retired and you need to go ahead and take a four or 5% income stream out of that portfolio. So, you know, yes. and, 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 and because, and it's because of these, as Jeff said, these ugly, ugly interest rates. And the thing is, and, 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 and as we're saying this, we got to make it very, a very clear point to all of our listeners. We're not telling you to go and just chase the highest dividend yielding stock out there. Absolutely not. You have to understand the there was an extensive amount of man hours that we put in to identifying just 10 names, 10 value names that are good dividend payers north of 3% that are going to, and our beliefs based on their fundamentals, maintain their current price or appreciate over time in their price. So we're still looking for very solid fundamentally sound companies that have these higher than 3% dividend yields. So I just want to be very careful for all of our listeners. We're not telling you just to go and chase an 8 or 9% dividend yielding stock. You still have to look at the quality, the fundamental value, the fundamental quality of the company. And so we put a lot of man hours into just identifying 10 stocks that we're going to be adding to our larger asset portfolios. So let's take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this.
Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on, on Tuesday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a complimentary portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at one 800 275 2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So if you're just tuning into this weekend's MoneyWise program, we were talking about some of the interesting creative strategies that we're implementing in our portfolios this year. And as Jeff was talking in the last segment of a dividend sleeve, or we've talked in past shows about barbelling the portfolio. Now, when I have meetings, review meetings with clients, we talk about the barbell approach, where if you look at a barbell, one weight plate would be considered kind of the growth aspect of the stock side of the portfolio, where the other weight plate on the other side of the barbell would be more of the value and income generation. And so that's something that we've all been researching for actually going on several weeks now, put a lot of man hours into it to come up with our list. And this list of dividend-paying individual stocks for our larger asset clients. And then we also have an exchange-traded fund for our asset builder program. Uh, That's going to be an income generator, bringing in, again, another asset class that we haven't owned for some time, and that's large cap value uh, in the portfolios. But as Jeff said, it's a creative strategy of trying to make and bring in a higher level of income into our portfolios, no matter what the allocation model or portfolio is, because of the historic low interest rate environment that we're finding ourselves in. And lower interest rates are going to be are going to be here to stay for a lot longer period of time. So rates are going to be lower for longer. Now that's great if you're a consumer, if you're going to be looking to buy a house, buy a big purchase, they're going to have to be financing. That's great. But if you're an investor and you own fixed income like we do at Davidson Capital Management, because the foundation of every portfolio we build for our clients has a foundation of high quality fixed income, because that's where you get safety and income. Not as much income as we used to, but it definitely has the safety. But and that's, go ahead, Jeff. I was going to say, and even and if you're a saver in CDs or those types of investments, I mean, higher returns on those uh those investments are you know i couldn't tell you how far in the future it's going to be until they really have what i would consider to be some a reasonable rate of return many many years into the future i mean that's a good question what what is the magic number to be a reasonable rate of return on a cd Uh, a a, a certain it it would have to be uh, to me, it would have to be a certain spread above the general rate of inflation. I mean, if you take inflation into consideration, and if we assume for a moment that inflation is 2%, and some people would say, well, no, it's 3 or it's this or it's that, we'll take the we'll, – right now we've been under 2% now. I, I think the CPI numbers for 2020 just came out, and it was under 2% for the entire year. And I believe it was under 2% in the entire – 2019, if my memory serves me correctly. From what do we say from, about what do we say about inflation? Yeah, but I'm, I'm just saying. I'm just saying for yeah. discussion's sake, from a CPI sure. consumer price index point of view, if you just say two percent, 
well, I don't know of any a certificate of deposit at, at a commercial bank and most of the banks, you know, they're under, I don't know of any cities longer than say three, three years, maybe five at the most, but I really don't think any of them do that. I don't think there's any three uh, three year CDs that are paying 2%. So if they're paying less than 2% and the rate of inflation is 2%, then your real return is negative, right? It's a negative real rate of return. The same would hold true for many you know, investment grade fixed income in instruments. <laughs> a from 10 year a, treasury. If you're, if you're looking at the yield to maturity, not the coupon, the coupon rate, rate, but the right. yield, the yield to maturity, they would also have, uh, you know, negative real returns when it comes to inflation. Does that mean you shouldn't have them in your portfolio? No, you have to have them in your portfolio for safety for the March 2020s and for the 2008, 2009 periods. Cause those are always out there. Uh, you've got to have, you, you can't, that's the foundation. You can't be that's in your, you can't be in your retirement years and be a hundred percent stocks in you our opinion. You cannot build an equity house on a sound on on a sand foundation, it's, you have to build an equity house on top of a solid foundation of fixed income bonds. Period. Over the last number of years, our portfolios have had overweightings in certain securities, certain particular stocks that we thought would do better than others. We might have a double weighting or a triple weighting in those particular stocks. One of the changes that we've made for 2021 is in our larger accounts that own individual stocks, we've gone to an equally weighted asset allocation where every stock in the portfolio, I'm talking about individual names, I'm not talking about exchange traded funds, but all the individual company stocks have gone to an equally weighted uh, uh, allocation, which means that the, in addition to this, this new 10 stock sleeve as our fixed income uh, surrogates, our number of stocks and exchange traded funds in our larger portfolios have expanded to a number that we haven't had in the history of our company. I believe it's 65. We're going to 65 individual 65 stock names. We're not, we're not there yet because we're, yet. they're stepping in. We're so stepping in. What, with what we executed this week was preparing the portfolios for this expansion into these new names. So, and we added actually, emerging markets. And, added added emerging market. and actually, as of today, as the, as the time we're, we're doing this show, our stock allocations are below 60%. That's a temporary thing. But right now, we're at, we're at 60%, uh, below 60%. And after this is all completed, it'll, it'll have, we'll be closer to 65 with the bond sleeve, as we call it, in there. Technically, they're stocks, but we really look at them more as a as a fixed income contributor to the portfolio. So, from you know our viewpoint, in the end, after making all these changes, the portfolios will be roughly allocated where they were before we started all this. I say roughly, <laughs> but you know, a lot of work. It's a lot of work. Just, <laughs> that's just one. Of the, that's just part of uh, you know investment management one on one. That's right. Well, and, and like you said, Jeff, that's where the creativity comes from. But that's also where all the years of experience, I mean, just between you, myself, and Joe, I mean, 70, well, we're north of 75 plus years of combined experience of being in the trenches. And so this is where creativity has to come and where when we're placed in a different environment. And yes, the environment today with what happened in Washington is different than if it was all GOP. 
after the election. So we're in a much different environment. So you have to be able to adjust your strategies based on events that take place. And that is exactly what we had to do. And that's where the creativity comes in as a registered investment advisor. Well, with that, we're coming up to the top of the hour. So for our listeners in San Antonio on 1200 WAI, we'd like to thank you for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program. If you'd like to catch the second hour, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com and click the radio show link to listen to this weekend's show, the second hour plus past Money Wise programs. And for our listeners on 1360 KKTX and Corpus Christi, stay tuned because when we come back from the top of the hour break, we'll be diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program and continuing with investor education. So stay tuned and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on Money Wise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. I've got my father, John. I'm your host, Kyle Davidson, and we are diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. Now, if you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise, guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the Money Wise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And if you missed the first hour of Money Wise, you can go to our website, again, at davidsoncap.com. Click on the radio show link where you can listen to today's show as well as past Money Wise shows. And you can also subscribe to our iTunes feed by clicking on the blue note in the upper right-hand corner of the homepage of our website, again, at davidsoncap.com. As we're in the second hour of the weekend's Money Wise program, we always like to use the second hour for investor education. And... There was an article, Dad, that you came across, and it's a topic that we've talked about on this show time and time again, uh, really how savers are being penalized because of the historically low interest rate environment that we found ourselves in over the last several years, the zero interest rate policy from the Federal Reserve. More than six now. Well, yeah, really going back to the Great Recession, which ended... And just to repeat to all of our listeners, the recession ended March of 2009, or excuse me, June of 2009. That March was the, March 2009 was the proverbial generational low of the stock market, but the recession ended in June of 2009, although I think there was a poll that was done by Fox News not too long ago in May that stated that, what was it, 60 or 70 percent of the... I think it was more than 60 percent of respondents believe we're still in a recession. And we're not. We're not in a recession, just but to reiterate that. they personally may feel, feel as if they are, and that's, that's part right. of what drives articles like this. Well, this article was written by Scott Burns, um, who is a former columnist for the Dallas, Dallas Morning, Morning News. Dallas Morning News. He is retired, but the title of the article is Low Rates Take High Toll on Retirement. And I want to read some excerpts out of this article because, again, this I think is going to spark, I wouldn't say a debate, but it's definitely going to spark a conversation that, you know, there were some good things in this article, but there are some things in this article, if I was talking to Scott Burns now, I would 
I would be asking him a little bit deeper questions and for him to go into a little bit greater explanation of some of the things that he said in this article. But from the article, no one knew, no one knew it at the time, but the 80s were the golden age of retirement. Pensions were were generous back then. Whether you invested in stocks or bonds, the proverbial win was at your back. Both provided handsome annual returns. Many retirees found themselves with more money, a higher standard of living than they had enjoyed while working. Who knew? No one had a clue about how good things were. Retirement will be more difficult the next 30 years than in the last 30 years. The returns on stocks and bonds are expected to be lower in the future than they have been in the past. Many provided a yield of 4%. And the long-term average yield has been about 3%. Today's stock yields are lower than 2%. The same thing happened to bonds. While you could typically rely on U.S. Treasuries to yield about 5% in the past, the current yield on the 10-year Treasury is a bit over 2%. Those two factors suggest that a typical balanced portfolio of 60% stock, 40% bond, which could be expected to provide an 8% annualized return in in the long term in the long term past might now expect be expected to return 6% meaning that a 30 year portfolio survival rate has moved from 94% to 77% because of the low interest rate environment that we're in and the expected future rates of return of the market but here's you know here's some things that I'd want to I'd want to say well, let me say something okay, first. Okay, sure. Let me, Go ahead. Let, let me get my thought in here. Okay. First of all, the 80s was not the golden years to retire. You retire when you retire. Now, the vast majority of people that retired in 1980 are probably no longer alive today. Would that be fair to say? Yes. And I, I'm sure if we went back and talked to these people, they would not feel that they retired in the golden age of retirement, considering the fact what the stock market has done since the 80s and what inflation rates are today versus what they were then. Then inflate the inflation wolf was firmly at the door. We had suffered tremendously under the Carter administration in the 70s, the area of all shock of the 70s, the fact that energy costs were doubling and tripling, utility costs were just sky high. In 1987, if you were a retiree, you would have suffered a decline in one day of more than 20 percent in the Dow Jones Industrial Average. I don't think anyone would have said October was the golden age to be retired. October of 1987 would have been the golden (laughs) age. So Scott Burns was writing for the Dallas Morning News in that time, and I just happened to be managing portfolios in Dallas at the same time, and I was dealing with the individuals who were retired, and I was talking to these people. And I can say with certainty that their feelings towards the future was no different than it is the people we talk to today. They did not believe they had enough money to live comfortably, and they were concerned about outliving their money. The rising cost of health care was very much present in their lives, and the we are so much farther along in our health fitness today as we opposed to then. We did not have all the treatments for hearts and cancer that we have today. So it was not the golden age of retirement. Retirement is retirement. You are only going to retire once. You can't go back and say, hey, I wish I'd have retired. 
just to show you how silly that statement really is, I know that uh, when I worked for Central Power and Light in the early 70s, they told me that my retirement, when if I stayed until I was 65, they projected that I would be getting $22,000 a year, almost as much as a vice president was making at that time. And wasn't that going to be a wonderful retirement? Well, no, I get more than that today in Social Security. I couldn't live on $22,000 a year. That was not the golden age of retirement. And, and, and that's and that's the one thing that I would, I would kind of take Scott Burns to task about in this article is that everything is relative in its specific time. Yes. Everything that's is relative. Exactly. When when you were at CPNL way back in the early seventies, making twenty two thousand a year, you're thinking, "Wow, back no, then." No, no, I was just trying to make ten. No, 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 no. I'm saying, as far as retirement, yes. you're thinking to yourself, "Wow." Wow. I mean, I'd be on easy street. Wow. Exactly. And, and so, again, going back to this golden age of retirement of retirement thirty years ago. You know, you have to look at a lot of different factors. Thirty years ago, sure, ten-year Treasuries were paying twelve, thirteen, you know, percent, fourteen percent. But where was monetary inflation? And we're going to have to pause right there to hold that thought and come back because I want to dig a little bit deeper into this article and again talk about how retirement is relevant and the point of time when you're actually retiring and looking in the rearview mirror is not a good thing. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So continuing this article from Scott Burns, low returns take high toll on retirement. And as we were going into the break, I was just making a point that retirement and what's going on in the market, the economy, inflation is relative at that point in time in which you're retiring. And to look back in time, to look back 30 years like Scott Burns was was looking and saying in this article, how it was so much better to retire 30 years ago. And I'm thinking, wait a second. Monetary inflation was almost double digits. Sure, you're getting 14% in a 10-year treasury, but wasn't in some instances inflation higher than a lot of treasury bonds, so you were actually getting a net negative return Remember the 18, net of inflation? Remember the 18% car loan yeah, exactly. I had on an 82 citation? Exactly. You know, double-digit mortgage rates. So... Again, even though he talks in this article how stocks had higher dividend yields and the bond market was paying higher interest rates and higher interest levels, where was monetary inflation? You know, what what was the actual net return was, after you take this out? Negative. It was negative. So if you look today, and, and we know that everyone's inflationary rate is different. It's the same. Tr- it's the it's a true statement today as it was 30 years ago, as it was 50 years ago. Everyone's inflationary rate's different. The government puts out their statistic, but if you've got kids in college, you know what your inflation rate is. You're a high consumer of health care, you know what your inflation rate is. So 
the government statistics are a lot of times meaningless to the individual in retirement. But I would say back then, inflation was a lot worse well, than it is today. And and even though we have, let's say, a 2.3% 10-year treasury, based on the governmental statistic of 2% inflation, you're actually net positive net of inflation. Which wasn't the true any time in the, 80s, That's right. the late 70s or 80s. Now, one other point I totally forgot is that there was no 401k plans in the 60s and 70s. That's right. So if you change jobs, which most young people do, if you left Westinghouse and went to work for CPNL, you left CPNL and went to work on Wall Street, every time you changed, whatever your defined benefit plan defined was Defined benefit, yeah. You got nothing. Nothing transferred. It wasn't until the 401k was created in the 80s where I was able to start putting money in and getting matching funds from my employer, which eventually led to the 401k that I was able to use to start the company. So if we go back today, as as young people jump jobs and change jobs, if they will carry their 401k with them, not borrow against it, and continue to keep their funds, their retirement would be substantially better. Very big point. Because the only way you had a really good retirement in the 60s is if you spent 35 years with the same company. You had to stay. Which you could do. Now, Now, today what you will find, at least this is what I find, People my age, the people who have worked for the federal government or work for the school systems right now tend to have the better retirements because they didn't have Social Security. Their money went into this Texas teacher's retirement. So they actually have pretty good retirements versus their peers and were able to retire earlier because of that. And so... But but you know what they get though, Dad? Now with TRS, they can do external saving through payroll deductions into four hundred three bs on top of their TRS. Yes. So so their I retirement. Do, I hope they're doing that. Well, one of our newest clients did that and has set themselves up for a very comfortable retirement because they paid themselves first, but they went above and beyond what the state was providing them. And they've they've amassed a very nice nest egg because of that. So the, the for teachers and municipal, their retirement plans are even more lucrative because they can do stuff outside the so, traditional. So the pension. funny thing today, what I would say to Scott, There's Burns, more flexibility. I would say today would be more the golden age of retiring than would have been in the seventies, sixties, and eighties, unless you had stayed with one company your entire career. Then you might have had a very comfortable retirement. But even then, the odds of you staying with the same company 35 years, I don't know what the stats were. They would be more then than today. But it still wasn't that great. And the other thing that you would find in the 80s is the blue-collar worker would not have the retirement of the white-collar worker. Today, that is different. We see time and time again, if if a worker has saved, whoever he works for through the 401k plan, he can build a substantial nest egg, he or she, and can retire comfortably as an executive could have back in the 60s, 70s, and early 80s. So everyone has the opportunity today. This gets back to why we would say to the Obama administration, as we said to the Bush administration, if we could do away with Social Security and go to a national pension where people could put money in to a pension plan, 
the whole country would be better off in retirement, and articles like this would not have to be written. But here's the thing. I think he's only calling it the golden age, Dad, because of the rates of return of these particular asset classes. But again, when when you look at it at its point in time when these returns were made, it wasn't really any different than what no, it is today. It. <laughs> and, just... in fact, and in fact, we just said that if you're looking at fixed income and a 2% inflationary rate and you can get 2.3% in a 10-year treasury, you're actually net three-tenths of 1% what? positive above inflation. Where back in the 80s, you weren't. So he's only calling it the golden age because yields were higher in the stock market. Well, where was monetary inflation? Yields were higher in fixed income market. Where was monetary inflation? So that doesn't make sense to me, Scott. And, and the other t- the other point of this is where he's talking about the survival rate of a portfolio went from ninety four percent to seventy seven percent based on what withdrawal rate. What are we talking about here? It, you said it before we were commercial break. You don't pull any money out of it. It has a 100% survival rate. It has you a survival rate. You may not like the returns, but it's not going to go to zero. It's not going to go to zero, but, but it, it's all relative to what your withdrawal rate is. That's why it's such a key as you're working towards retirement, as you're getting a couple of years out, to start what I call do financial road mapping, where and this is something that we provide to to our clients here at Davidson Capital Management as part of our services is you know getting an an idea of what your expenses are going to be and and really the expenses need to be relative close, if not identical, or maybe even a little more than what you're currently spending today. Because I say to every client or prospective client, the one thing you have more of in retirement is time. And you have more time to travel, more time to do things and to get out and actually spend. So when I hear financial planners or read articles saying you need 70 to 80 percent of your current income, current annual income to survive in retirement, hogwash. No way. You need 100 percent, if not a little bit more, because you have more time. Unless you're going to be... Ex- extremely frugal. And, and, and again, I think if if you're used to eating steak two times a week, you're not going to go to eating PB&J two times a week or rice and beans. You're going to want to continue to maintain that lifestyle. Peanut butter and jelly. Yeah, you PB&J. Had, yeah, sorry. you had me going there. I heard you caught on the PB&J. I trying to figure out what, what yeah, PB&J. You're not going to go eating peanut butter and jelly just so you can retire. So if you're not sitting down and figuring out what your monthly budget is and you don't take a look at the value of your nest egg and determine and figure out what kind of annual withdrawal rate am I going to have to draw off this nest egg in order to cover my living expenses. And if they're not matching up, I mean, if you're having to pull 8, 9, 10, 11%, it's not going to survive. No, it's I not going to survive. I can assure you there of that. There is no money manager that's, that's going to be, be able to do that. Be able to do that. And not do it prudently. I mean, if they're going to go, you go with 100% stocks, uh, you want not- not always. You can't do that. Not even a hundred percent stock. And, and, and no, again, I'm saying, yeah, to get that kind of return, you're going to have to be hundred percent stock. And, and again, that's extremely, extremely dangerous. If now you've taken yourself out of the workforce, and so if you find yourself doing this exercise and realizing that you're having to pull out high percentages in order to cover your expenses, one, you've not saved enough. Two, you haven't gotten your expenses low enough. And the one thing is we preach here at Davidson Capital is that the only thing you can control, the only thing you can control in retirement is discretionary spending. You can't control your health. You can't control taxes. You can't control the rate of return in your portfolio. You can only control your discretionary spending. And if your discretionary spending is out of whack, 
You have to get it back in line in order to maintain your nest egg. So this, going back to this article, a 30-year portfolio survival rate, because of the averaged annualized rates of return today than where they were 30 years ago, reduces a survival rate from 94% to 77%. Based on what, Scott? You're being a little vague here. Let, let's get let's get into the nitty gritty and figure out what the withdrawal rate is. Don't just say that rates of return were better in the 80s. Well, yeah, he's, he's, not he's, real rates of return. But he's looking at everything as a, in a vacuum, as opposed to being more in relatively speaking, you know, in today's time. It's not. This doesn't happen in a vacuum. And the one thing that he also forgets: population growth was a lot smaller back then. We're continuing to grow. You know, where interest rates are going to be a year from now, let alone 10 years from now, I can't tell you. I have a feeling they're going to be higher, but I can't promise you that. I would think well, Janet Yellen, as an educated man, they're going to be higher. I think you can say with certainty Janet Yellen will not be chairman of the Federal Reserve in 10 years. That's right. Well, we got to take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the Money Wise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So kind of getting back to this, low returns takes high toll on retirement article from Scott Burns. And as I was saying before we went to the bottom of the hour break, again, he's just kind of looking at things in a vacuum and not realizing that Inflation was different back in the 80s. Yes, rates of return were higher. Valuations on company stocks were lower relative to today. Population was smaller. Um, I mean, again, it's retirement is relative based on the point in time you're currently in. You're only going to retire the one time. That's, that's it. right. And you can't say Pick that because, because dividend yields and interest rates. market returns yeah, are The dividends and interest rates were higher back in the 80s, made it a better time, and because of defined benefit plans. But, Dad, you just completely crushed, yeah, I mean, crushed that point in this article yes. because – you didn't get to take your defined benefit plan with you. So you either put your cement shoes on at the employer of choice that you were at and spend your career there, or you lose your retirements, where today you can move from job to job and continue to climb the corporate ladder while taking your retirement assets with you via the 401K. So the 401K has given employees a lot better upward mobility. Yes, and, Absolutely. And, and, and flexibility to go from either one career path to the other or make changes and not be stuck in a dead-end job that they were miserable driving to every single day. Because they're like, well, I've been here 15 years. Well, I don't want to lose my quarter-million dollars pension I have. I don't want to tell you how many people I talked to, and I'm not singling out CPNL, but I'm just saying there were people there that were counting the days 
you know, they had seven more years to go. I mean, it was almost like a prison sentence. They, they put X's yeah, on, the, I, on, on their did. cubicle wall. They did, Kyle. I, I make. I, I mean, literally, they were in. You know, they knew that they had six or seven more years to go. They were counting the days. They were miserable. It was name, rank, and serial number. They were entrenched in their position. They didn't want to change anything because they. I mean, what could they do? Just think coming up to where you would be funded, where if you lost this or how much it would affect your retirement. I mean, uh, one of the things that working at a public utility was the fact that you had this job security, and for that you gave up a lot of flexibility. But it wasn't just about that one company. It was all the companies back then. Yes, I'm just singling out what I observed observed. And I'm sure that was observed by many other people and many other professions and many other corporations at that point in time. And so with the invention and the advent of the 401K, it's it's great and it's given... Everyone in this country a lot more flexibility and mobility when it comes to their career Absolutely. and choosing that career yes. path. So again, that's Scott, not the golden age. That was not that be, the golden age. Would that be the golden age? No. And and yes, we're in a lower return environment. When you're running, when I run hypotheticals doing the financial road mapping, yes, I'll run it on a 5% return, 6% return, 7% annualized return. I will run it on those numbers. And I will run it based on different withdrawal rates for that particular client just to see how long this money will last. But again, even those models are just, it's just math. That is not going to predict the future because no one knows what the future holds for this market. That's why we always preach on this radio show. And again, one reason why we hate annuities with such a passion is that you have to maintain flexibility in retirement. You have to stay mobile, nimble, flexible to be able to make adjustments and changes because the one guarantee on Wall Street, the one guarantee, is change. It's going to fluctuate. It's going to change, and it changes every single second. And so you have to have a portfolio that's actively managed, actively managed, not set it and forget it, and a portfolio that has liquidity and flexibility to make those changes. Because even, you know, take your portfolio, let's set your portfolio aside. Just talk about life. Life can change in the blink of an eye for yourself. And so you have a health crisis. You have a family issue. You need to get a hold of money. That's why maintaining flexibility, being malleable, is so incredibly important. And... Over time, as far as valuations are concerned, yes, the regress back. You know, he talks about regressing back to its mean when he talks about stock valuations. Let's talk about regressing back to the mean return of the markets themselves because we have yet to regress back to the mean or the average rate of return of the S&P 500 for a 100-year time span since the financial crisis. We have yet to regress back to that average return. Still today, we're still around 6, 6.5%. When prior to the financial crisis, we were more along the lines of 10 to 11% historically. So he was talking about regressing back to valuations. Well, guess what? In a bull market, stocks are going to be a little overvalued. Are they not, Dad? That's what a bull market means. That's what a bull market means. And again, when you look at the 10-year treasury rate, Yes, it's paying more than monetary inflation. If your monetary inflation, personal inflation rate, is the governmental statistic, which I know it's not. But 
compared to where it was in the 80s, there was no comparison because you lost to monetary inflation in the 80s. So golden age, Scott? No way. No way. Because there, the, key no way. Now, the key now is a young person who has the 401k plan changes jobs a number of times, can keep the 401k. Has control over the investments. Has control over the investments. Has matching coming from the employer. Think how much money I would have got from Westinghouse, from CPNL, from Basin Company. If you could take it. If I could have taken it with me. Mm -hmm. The funny thing was, because of the settlement, when they closed out one of the banks I worked for in the 80s, they were forced to give me an annuity. Now, it's a pittance that comes in every month, but it you know that's the only company of all the companies I work for that I get anything because all those years you all worked, those years I worked were lost. We're lost. We're lost. And and you know again, you know there was a point I was going to make and it just escaped me. I'm having a senior moment now. <laughs> I'm having a senior moment well, now. You're approaching 40. Well, yeah, that's right. It's 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 not it's only a handful of months yeah, away. It's not it's around the corner. The, the mind is a terrible thing. Yes, you you'll be over the hill. I'll be over the hill, but you know, again, when it when it comes down to your retirement, maintain flexibility. Don't get sucked into sales pitches for guarantees or this false well, sense of security because some salesman says that this is a great thing to well, do. I mean, the popularity of target date funds, which go we we dealt with I know what for I was six or say. seven years now this year. All of a sudden, we've got this move on. Well, let's get our expenses down. All we got to do to to really maintain good returns and get our expenses down. Do nothing but indices. Uh, you know, let's let's just turn this money over to this computer, and they're going to run my money in this computer really inexpensively. You've thought of it. Uh, it. It hit me. Here's something else that's vastly different today than in the '80s: access to information, access to research. Yes. Any individual investor can do this on their own. They can. And I know we're a registered investment advisor. We're a professional money manager. And I'm telling you, you can do this on your own. You do have the tools available to manage your assets on your own. You can go completely alone. You don't need anybody. You've got discount brokers out there that can be there to to be a sounding board for you. And you've got research tools out the wazoo. But because of the speed of the markets, the volatility of the markets, how complex the markets are in this day and age, a lot of investors choose not to. And that's what we would recommend because you really have to be sitting on that wall 24-7, 365 days a year and actively manage it and have the skill and ability and have the experience of being in the trenches to know cause and effect of different events, either in the economy, geopolitics, or markets to have to be successful long term and as we say if you can manage your portfolio part time and beat a professional manager you know we'd like to hire you yeah well or you, you need to do, go out on your own or you need to go out on your own if you can do it part time and be successful because of the speed of movement but back in the 80s uh, you had the wall street journal no way you didn't have research tools you didn't have access to these charts and the technical data that you can have access to today and if you wanted access to that technical data how much would that cost i mean lots a lot of money. of money lots of money nowadays you can go to bigcharts.com you can go to morningstar i mean there is a well, treasure can... trove of websites that you can go to to do your own research and your own monte carlo analysis your own backdated and testing of portfolios you can 
free. All these annual meetings that they have. I mean, you can listen in and hear the main Conference calls. Conference calls. We had conference calls because we were running money. You couldn't, as an individual, be involved in that conference call. Yeah. Now everything is an open book. I mean, if IBM scratched, we knew about it <laughs> because 10 analysts would call because of the kind of money we were generating kind of commissions we were generating yeah so did we have inside information no but we had information first we were one of the original calls mm-hmm. they called you guys first we with got information. because because we generated commissions for them yeah well and that's when yeah. you were managing pension assets yes. so and yeah. trust assets so a- again with today's technology there's just so much more information and so much more education that's available to individual investors but as we say, if you're that investor that doesn't want to make those decisions, doesn't have time to manage their assets in this volatile market environment that's going to continue to be like this for the rest of your life, that's when you need to seek the professional asset management skills of an RIA or a Davidson Capital Management to be able to actively manage those assets to make sure your portfolio lasts a lifetime. Well, let's t- take our last commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the Money Wise program or even a show idea, something you'd like to learn concerning Wall Street that we can help cover, send those emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So wrapping up this article, and I, I don't want our listeners to think that we were just bashing on Scott Burns. That wasn't the point. It's just his article, I think, sparked a debate because, yes, the statistical return numbers he was giving in the article were accurate. But he's assuming that everything is done in a vacuum and not looking at the world at that particular time when these retirees were saying adios to to working nine to five and and not taking into account where inflation was. And, and, And again, to say that the 80s was the golden age or 30 years ago was the golden age, we disagree with. And I think that what really should have been taken away from the article is it should be preparing investors for lower rates of return over the medium term because I can't tell you what earnings growth is going to be two, three, four, five years from now or where interest rates are going to be two, three, four, five years from now. I think interest rates are going to be higher. Uh, I can't tell you where monetary inflation is going to be. I can tell you that average monetary inflation going back to the late 50s average is around 4% is around 4%, and right now we're right at two, one, between 1.8 and 2% according to the government. And again, I don't trust them with those numbers as far as I could throw them, but everyone, again, everyone's inflationary rate is different. But here's one thing that has changed over the last 30 years. More corporations have come into existence. Technology, both be it computer, hardware, software, biotechnology, new companies, new ideas, innovations that were not even thought of 30 years ago are, are, have been developed and are continuing to expand and increasing the pace 
of future developments because of technology, we've seen explosive population growth. We have seen economies that were fledgling to becoming more developed economies. And we've gone from being on an island maybe by ourselves back in the 80s. I mean, Dad, I was a little boy. You'd have to tell me if the U.S. I mean, we're always going to be the number one superpower. But from an economic standpoint, was it kind of the U.S. and everybody else? Well, I mean, that's the way I looked at it. I mean, we, we seems to, you know, we still always seem to be the head of the dog, so to speak. And so now we're seeing economies around the world developing and getting stronger and getting bigger and it becoming a world economy. Well, in the 80s, you know, Japan was thought to be a threat to the United States, just like China is thought to be an economic threat today. We're talking economic threats. I said economic threat. Okay, just want to mention. And so, as I said, I look at China differently. Because of because, your age. Because, uh, of, because your of my age. age in the Korean War, the fact that was the first thing I can remember. So they were the enemy. So nothing has changed. That, you know, I, I don't trust them, never will trust them. You know, there were people from World War II that had the same problem with the Japanese, rightfully so. Think about it. So so you can understand in the 80s, these people weren't feeling very comfortable about Japan. So these things, the market is always the same. It is greed and fear, but it's always different. It's always growing. There's more flexibility. There are vast more choices today of where to invest than there was back in the 80s. Not including products. Different products and way investments you know, are packaged. And, and the only thing that's the same <clears throat> today as it was in the 80s is Wall Street has not changed. I would say they are the same group of people <clears throat> they were in the 70s when I went in and became a broker. They have never changed. Their job is to sell product. Their job is to make money for the firms they work for. They hope their clients make money. That has never changed. They are always going to give the client what the client will buy, not necessarily what the client should be buying or what they need or what they need, but they will provide, you know, this explosion of of annuities came out of fear. That's right. We will live to see why annuities are just another product not a product that should be used to the extent that it's been used over the last 20 years. And being sold at the pace that it's yes. being sold. So all things will change. I you know, I do think that we will see an interest again in investing in commodities. With commodity prices down as low as they are, you know, to me, if you looked out three or four or five years, investing in real things as far as commodities to me would look like a good thing. But I think if you run the exercise that we talked about earlier this hour about figuring out what your monthly expenses are, looking at your nest egg, and if you're having to withdraw more than 7% out of your nest egg per year, you need to go back and adjust your budget, your lifestyle, or you're going to have to work longer and save more before you ride off into the sunset because, again, because of the lower interest rate environment, the lower returns we've been seeing in the stock market, we don't know what it's going to look like 10 years from now. No one does. And even though we're in this bull market, there's going to be many bull markets to come. And as we've always said on this program, retirement is just the 50-yard line. It's not the end zone. And so you have to maintain that flexibility. 
you have to maintain active management, active oversight of the portfolio, as we have always preached going on almost 10 years on the Money Wise program here on 1360 KKTX. You, you have to be in a balanced portfolio. And balanced means different things at different parts in the market, at different times in the market cycle. Right now, 60-40. Could be 50-50. Could be 70-30 stocks to bonds. And the reason it's 60-40 or 60-35 or whatever has to do with the fact that we've had this run in the stock market, and as the stock market gets higher, obviously we're due a correction. It's been a a few years since we've had a 10% correction. So when you see things like that, you have to have the flexibility to adjust. The balanced portfolio today is totally different than what the balanced portfolio would have been in 1989 when when I started the firm. The returns are totally different. The environment is totally different. But it's and, the, and that'll be the same in the future too, Dad. But it's the flexibility that comes from that philosophy. That's right, and 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 again, you need to run these exercises. I cannot stress them enough. You have to sit down with a piece of paper and a pencil and really work these numbers out to see if you're close to being able to retire. And if not, you need to be paying yourself more first and get your expenses down. And if there's anything we can do to help you here at Davidson Capital Management, you can give us a call at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And with that, we'd like to thank everyone for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program. From my father, John, this is Kyle Davidson saying have a fantastic weekend into your financial health. We will talk to you next week.